I mean, if we look at, I'll say the, the paradigm, that's why we go to work every day, right? We need to go to work. We need to, I mean, I don't go to work, but anymore. <laughs> we need to go to work to make money, to pay the mortgage, right? Because if I don't pay my mortgage, I'm going to lose my house, right? And even before that, if I don't get good grades, if I don't go to school, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't live up to society's expectations, my world's going to be scarce and I'm going to be at fault for that. That's Code Model Coach and Nia Dance Instructor, Nancy Hanlon. This week's inspiring guest on episode 85 of the Unplugged Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to another inspiring week of the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And this is the audio space where you will hear powerful conversations with the courageous truth seekers and free thinkers of today's rapidly, rapidly, uber, super speed, rapid changing world. And my name is Debo Zarco, warrior of truth, status quo crusher, and passionate lover of life, here to welcome you to your almost weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, critical thought, provoking words, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in beautiful, coastal British Columbia, Canada. And I'm recording this introduction on a major high on the heels of one of the most transformative experiences of my life to date. And I, uh, yeah, is literally mind blowing. And I have just completed the five day decloaking and living authentically experience out here on the Sunshine Coast. And I feel totally transformed from the inside out. And to describe the experience is virtually impossible because it is so deeply personal. Um, what can I say? It's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my past, uh, in my past seeking for personal expansion. And I've done some pretty awesome programs and workshops and, and I've had some great retreat experiences that have helped me to recover and reclaim more of who I am. But this one just, wow, it was, uh, anyway, I, I, I can't even describe it. It just makes me stutter because <laughs> there are no words for it. It's so nonlinear. It's it's deeply organic and it's overwhelmingly powerful. And quite honestly, I actually have no idea what just happened to me this this past week. But I do know that my life has taken on a trajectory that knows no limits. I feel like I've been launched from a rocket pad and I've grown wings. And I feel like I'm on a high but at the same time, I feel really, really deeply grounded in my body. And inside, I have this excitement that is beyond childlike, actually. It's, I remember the feeling that I had at Christmas and how excited that was, but it's bigger than that. And at the same time, I have this inner stillness that is very hard to describe. And I have no idea what's next in my life, but I can feel that it is really, 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 really big. And that's a lot of reallys. 
And I have no interest in trying to figure it all out because I trust it all, whatever that it is. And I trust it more than ever before. So all I can say is look out world because something massive is percolating inside of me and it's waiting to bust free. And for the first time in my life, I am totally relaxing into the process rather than in my typical fashion, trying to expedite it. Now that doesn't mean that I'm not eager. <laughs> I'm feeling a little frustrated because I want it out now. But there's a part of me inside. It's that like that childlike excitement that I was saying and that inner stillness. There's part of me that's just relaxing into this, knowing that it's all going to unfold as it's supposed to. Yeah. And if anyone out there listening is hungry for more of who they know themselves to be and is eager to release that person onto a world that is starving for authentic expression. Now that I have been through it myself, the decloaking and living authentically experience is going to dissolve your little small weenie self once and for all. And this experience also created for me a massively overhauled definition of what true leadership is. And that, for me, that leadership means activating on a massive scale, the earth healer, the earth healer from within. So all I can say is, <laughs> wow. And I'm really excited about the timing of all of this because my book is in the absolute final editing stages and it's going to be going into design and production next month. So I'm feeling even more excited to share my work with the world and I'm owning it. My work, my baby, I have worked my ass off with this project and with everything that I do, including this podcast. And I'm really, really excited to be able to share it with the world. And this book is so powerful and it's so timely as we approach the turning of a new year. So with the decloaking experience now under my belt in this ongoing evolutionary expansion that is happening within me, uh, yeah, wow. I, I, who knows what's coming? I mean, I'm, I'm relishing the uncertainty <laughs> because I know that what I'm feeling inside, the certainty of what I'm feeling inside is that it's big. And now on to this week's podcast. I have been holding off on releasing this week's conversation until now because I wanted to meet this week's guest, Nancy Hanlon, in person. And last week, I had the opportunity to because she was an integral part of the decloaking experience. And not only did I get to meet her, I had the honor of sharing a deeply sacred, intimate space with her. And many of the conversations that we had last week revolved around the silencing of the feminine voice and how each of us has been silenced in one way or another by parents, religion, and culture. And I didn't even realize, you know, here I am with a podcast and I'm, I'm going to be sending a book out or yes. Yeah. I'm going to be birthing a book into the world with, with many more to follow, but I didn't even realize the issues that I still had with my own voice and my own and the own, the, you know, the silencing of my own voice. So it was incredibly pow powerful for me in that respect because it's helping me to reclaim an even bigger part of my voice. And when I say voice, I'm not talking necessarily about what you're hearing in your ears right now, but I'm talking about the creative voice from within, however that expresses. 
And for me, it expresses through the podcast, through my writing, through my, my graphic design work, through anything that is the creator from within. That is the voice. And it's, it's metaphorically. I speak about it metaphorically and also literally. But um, it, it, what we spoke about is really about how the reclamation of our true authentic voice means moving through the layers of conditioning that have created patterns that we have, have adopted within ourselves to keep us safe, but also at the same time, they keep us small and feeling limited. So, so basically in this experience, we gave voice to our limitations in the total safety. And that's the key, the total safety of a purely non-judgmental environment. Nobody was trying to fix us. Nobody was trying to give us advice. It was like just giving voice without having to worry about what others were going to do to us, say to us, or think about us. There is nothing more liberating than that. And it made me realize even on a deeper level, how pervasive and toxic and violent judgment is. So it was, it was so empowering that Today's conversation about scarcity and abundance, that's, that's the primary topic of this, this conversation, although we expand it in many, many ways. But the, the, the original premise for this conversation was scarcity and abundance. Um, that whole conversation has taken on a new meaning. And yet, as I edited this podcast, I also realized how pertinent this conversation is on so many levels. So let's face it. I mean, we live in a fear-based culture that perpetuates scarcity. We're told repeatedly by our cultural institutions and the many people in our lives that we are lesser than we know ourselves to be. We're taught that we are not the force of nature that we are, that we are not the sun, that we are not the wind, that we are not the fire and the water. We are not taught that all of that lives inside of each and every one of us. We are taught that we are separate from the earth and that we are not here to make a difference in the healing of the earth. We're not taught any of the stuff that we're meant to be taught that we are forces of nature and that we are here to facilitate the healing of the earth in our own unique and authentic way. We're taught that we're, uh, we're only one person and that there's no possible way that we can make a difference. We're taught that our voice doesn't matter. We're taught that we must look a certain way, behave a certain way, live a certain way, and believe in what everyone else believes. We're taught to conform. We're taught to comply. We're taught to be indifferent and not care because then we stand out if we do or we're radical or whatever other stupid language is used to keep us small and silenced. We're taught to shrink. And every time we say yes to shrinkage, a piece of us dies and a piece of the earth dies. And if that's not a consciousness of scarcity, I don't know what is. And when I think about scarcity, like even in my own life, up until this conversation with Nancy this past September, I thought it was about money. Um, so like I say, you know, many people speak of money scarcity, but really that's only one small piece because I see people with giant homes, three cars, vacation homes, uh, extensive, massive wardrobes. And the accompanying ostentatious behavior. And yet they still live in the fear of not enough. Because the not enough comes from within. And when we believe that we're not enough from within, even on a subconscious level that we have no awareness of, we never have enough. 
And our entire culture is based on a scarcity mindset that feeds a destructive, consumptive machine because we believe that we're not enough. And I can tell you from personal experience, I live a very simple life in a small rented bungalow here on the Sunshine Coast with an old car that my partner and I share. We grow our own food, we save our own seeds, we create what we need from recycled materials. And it's so exciting when we do that, like just birthing something from what somebody else called garbage is so beautiful. We make our own personal and home care products. We don't have traditional jobs. We have a house full of furry rescued animals and we have incredibly rich and meaningful friendships. And both of us are doing what we love in this world. And it facilitates great healing. And not only for ourselves, because we're both on purpose, honoring our calling, but also for the external world, because we've said yes to our core, essential, creative soul self. And as a result, our lives are incredibly rich and so abundant that I can't even describe it because it is such a personal internal experience. And anyone who would look at our bank accounts, at least our current bank accounts, would likely see a different story. But here's the thing. True abundance lives deep within. We've reclaimed the parts of us that we're told that we're not enough, that our voice doesn't matter, that, you know, that we're only one person and that we don't make a difference. And we've turned that around because we know that we are enough that we're more than enough, and that we are here to make a difference in the world. We know that. We know that deep, deep, deep within our core. And we've no longer chosen to attach ourselves to a scarcity paradigm. So just to give you an example, for instance, when people support my work, like the podcast, for instance, with something as simple as an iTunes rating, or they purchase my work on my website or my design work, or, you know, the books that I'm going to be putting out there. Those people are honoring my creative force and giving me the gift of reciprocity. Just as I do with those whose work I support. So in my world, the transaction of money and of of, of purchasing is not a cold transaction that comes from a place of not having enough. You know, that tired old excuse, I don't have enough money or whatever it may be. Instead, it comes from the respect the gratitude and the honor that I give to another for taking the time to grow or create the food or products that I need. It's a relationship. And that mind shift alone is so transformative because it comes from a place of abundance, even if my bank account doesn't reflect it. And that's the way I choose to live my life. So even the serious drought of this past summer, for example, it taught me how to redefine my relationship with water so that I didn't feel the fear uh, that so many people felt, the scarcity. And instead, I fed the inner resources inside of me of resilience that showed me what I'm capable of. So this week's conversation is very, very powerful. It's going to open your heart and it's also going to open your mind to a new way of thinking about feeling and thinking about what you believe about not enough and who you become as a result of believing that not enough even exists in the first place.
So brace yourself for this week's paradigm-altering conversation about redefining abundance with Nancy Hanlon. Nancy, I'm really grateful to have you back on the show again. We have been having a really interesting email exchange that inspired me to reach out and invite you into a conversation about what we were initially calling scarcity. And since you and I have been having this this pre-conversation, it's already, as I, using my own language, it's already expanded into an entirely new universe. So where we're going to go with this one, I have a feeling it's going to be really big, expansive, and exciting. And one of the things that I I mentioned to listeners early this year, so I think it was early January of this year, is that I'm going to be going to spaces and places this year that are big and expansive and deep. And I I had no idea what that meant when I said that. It was just, you know, it was just the language that was moving through me when I, when I spoke in that particular show, which I don't even remember which one it was right now, but that's really what's been happening is whatever is moving through me is something that feels, there's a sense of urgency to it. Like this, this necessity to have bigger conversations, deeper conversations and conversations that are so organic that they surprise me sometimes in ways that completely alter my paradigm. So I can honestly say that this whole year has been about, it's been an altered paradigm year for me. And I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. And you're one of the, the key players in helping to facilitate this altered paradigm. And that's a really, really beautiful thing. So we can we can like it we can start with the um what we were initially going to start talking about redefining scarcity or whatever we said talking about scarcity and see where this goes <laughs> cuz i have a feeling that's probably a good launching point and then we can just shoot for the universe like another universe as we go so anyway welcome to this show again i'm so happy to have you here it's you and I this time. We're having an intimate conversation about life. <laughs> well, I'm really glad to be here. Very, yeah, just deeply honored to um, share a space with you in this exploration. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell your listeners, I, I, a good friend, as you know, Naomi Irons, kept mentioning Deb or Zorko, right? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And then I went to your website and it was like, I saw the title, Status Quo Crusher. I'm like, I want to know her. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, because <laughs> I, I have to admit that sometimes that language just doesn't really feel right for me because I'm somebody who speaks about compassion, but I also speak about passion and I, and, and purpose. But for me, compassion is the biggest thing. Now, compassion is a really fiery energy. 
Like I, it's not yeah. a passive state for me. It's very active. I speak about love, but that's an active state for me. And there's, uh, there are a lot of emotions that are attached to that. It's not soft and fluffy though. It's driven by passion and sometimes anger, like righteous anger that can move mountains. And, um, but when, when that moniker status quo crusher came up, it's like, uh, crusher. I'm not so sure about that one, but you know, I'm claiming it. I'm owning it because that's mm. ultimately what this show is about. It's about demolishing, dissolving. You can use whatever language you want, crushing old paradigms and moving into something that's far more expansive and authentic to who each and every single one of us is. Mm. Well, and, and it's like, I don't experience you as a crusher. I experience you as this immense force of nature that expands what reality is. Like you're, you're a frontier. You're willing to go in places to the deep and dark corners as I'd like to speak to them and know that underneath that is this immense world of love, aliveness, passion, and abundance. We all have that within us. Mm. Yeah, we all yeah. have this, that within us. Yes, yeah. But many of us, are trapped. This is kind of like a nice segue into the the uh, the original content of this show, scarcity. Mm -hmm. So many of us in this status quo paradigm are trapped in this scarcity mindset of not being enough, not having enough, not being worth enough, and on and on and on it goes. And you and I both speak to it in the same way. I mean, it starts pretty well out of the womb, how mm. we're conditioned to be, who we're conditioned to believe that we are, how we're conditioned to move through the world, and on and on it goes. And then we end up being like, we move through the world as a fraction of who we are, if that and it traps us in fear, low self-worth, scarcity, which plays out as depression, anxiety, stress, addiction, and on and on it goes. And so we see this downward spiral of consciousness and we've managed to really normalize the abnormal in this culture and it's ridiculous. So, um, why don't we start with that as a launching point and, and let's talk about scarcity from your worldview. Well, to be honest, it's a word I never thought of in, until I started my well systems journey five years ago. Um, I mean, I think I, I thought of it as something outside of myself. You know, I, I, I grew up quote unquote, what would I, I don't know. I, I guess I would call myself fortunate in terms of I had things provided for me. I didn't lack for a house over my head. I didn't lack for food. I didn't lack for experiences. Um, so I never really thought of the word. I always thought of it was about someone else or something else. And as I, as I've come to know the term scarcity and started to redefine it as a state of being, you know, scarcity in, oh, I mean, if we look at, I'll say the, the paradigm, 
that's why we go to work every day, right? We need to go to work. We need to, I mean, I don't go to work, but anymore. <laughs> we need to go to work to make money, to pay the mortgage, right? Because if I don't pay my mortgage, I'm going to lose my house, right? And even before that, if I don't get good grades, if I don't go to school, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't live up to society's expectations, my world's going to be scarce and I'm going to be at fault for that. You know, scarcity of spirit, my unique spirit. I didn't know what that meant. And I wasn't my authentic self. I was open, honest, and direct, but I wasn't really intimate about who I was or what, what I'm doing here, right? In terms of my passion to really leave a legacy that humanity stands in a really different place. Um, humanity in terms of us knowing as spirit touching humanity for the evolution of consciousness. So when I think about scarcity, it's this term of lack. It's this term of without. It's this term of less than. It's, it's all of those subtleties of sometimes I hear in my silent conversations when I'm willing to pause and stop. Those are my limitations. And it's an energetic signature in my body. You know, when I say scarcity, I'm sure people are going to have things come up in their mind right? We each do. We have stories. We have images. Those are all perceptual filters, perceptual filters in terms of how I'm willing to see the world. And so I'm still in the process of discovering what that means and where it still holds me back. And more and more it doesn't because I know, I know a different way of being. I know that I am whole. I know all the resources I need are within. And if I'm willing to connect with my authentic truth, I'm willing to connect with the energetic being that I am, God force, authentic force, whatever you want to call that. When I'm deeply connected to that, my perception shifts as I connect with another. Yeah, that's some of the initial thoughts. And it's really slippery. You know, we're told as a world culture, there's people in this world that are hungry. As you know, there's drought on the, on the West Coast, you know, that's scarcity. And yet we have more food and water across the globe to feel, to feed people a million, you know, copious amount of times over. It's in the literature, right? People are speaking to it every day. How is that scarcity? How can we live in a scarce world when there actually is resources that we haven't even, you know, there's resources available now without destructing the earth any further. Like that's a mind-blowing thought. <laughs> There's probably far more resources available without the destruction of the earth. I believe that the destruction is, is definitely one of the key players of this scarcity model because it comes from a scarcity place. We're destroying the earth because we feel like we need more, 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 more all the time. That alone is a scarcity model. I never actually even thought about that until now. That's coming from a place of fear. Yeah. And again, fear is an energetic template. You know, and I can feel subtle stories about scarcity. Like I've worked in the social work field. I've done lots of volunteer work because that's meaningful because I want to leave humanity in a different spot, right? Um, that's always been, I've known that. I've gotten greater clarity in terms of how I think about the lives I've witnessed that do have quote unquote scarcity, 
that don't have enough food on their table, that don't have enough this and that. And yet when in conversation and providing great space, because this individual wants to show up and I show up as the unique expressions that we are, something shifts. The conversation doesn't become about scarcity. It becomes about one human being seeing another human being, you know, or one spirit owning in tissue saying, have you ever considered this? You know, in terms of your resources within and that innate value that we each have because we breathe, that innate value that you may not know right now, and yet I see you. I see you as a powerful force. Like how we wrap our heads around scarcity and everything we try to do to fix scarcity is a bit of the race. Mm-hmm. It, it, is a, it, is, it is part of the race, you know? There's, yeah. <laughs> you said something when we were talking earlier about how if we don't have a, you know, a master's degree or a PhD or a, I don't know, some kind of letters behind our name that um, often we don't feel worthy, that mm-hmm. our self-worth is is compromised. And I can't remember the exact language that you used around that, but it was so powerful in kind of, it, it was shape, reshaping my perceptual view about that. I mean, I... I could care less about letters behind somebody's name. As a matter of fact, I was listening to um, an author named Matthew Fox, and his work is really powerful. And he was saying that most of the destruction on this planet has been caused by people with the letter PhD next to their names. So we live in a culture that still attaches so much meaning to intellectual awards whether it happens to be letters behind the name or whatever the case may be and that has taken us away from the fact that we are so powerful and so valuable just because we are who we are and when we claim that then you know that's when that's when we change the world so I'd like to kind of explore this conversation with you because like I said, you said some really powerful things about this. I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, what did I say? Well, and I think, let me Start fresh. It. Start fresh. Then. Yeah, I will. <laughs> you know, it was really interesting because I, I guess I'll go here to tell a bit of a story. I sat in a circle um, at a land-based conference that had... Um, Indigenous people, well, we're all Indigenous, but like First Nations community representatives. Where am I going with this? And what was interesting is I had a perception about what that was experience was going to be like, just because I've been in different communities and different, been, been really welcomed into different conversations in that way. And what I realized when I sat there, because there was about 18 of us, is they were all from an academia place. So they were all involved with universities or college. And as it came to my name, because we're talking about land-based practices, and I realized this is the first time in my life, and it's not, but I realized 
I'm, I'm not in academia. I'm not pursuing the next degree. I'm not pursuing the next certification. I'm not pursuing the next education level. And I felt such freedom to go, you know, inside of me, I was like, I'm finally living. I'm finally living. And so, you know, I think earlier in the, in the conversation before, you know, as we were leading into this one, I said, who am I to talk about scarcity and abundance? I don't have a PhD. I haven't written a book. Like I can tell you all the stories about what I haven't done. It's like the scarcity conversation. I can tell you everything that I don't have. And yet am I willing to look inside of myself and speak to what I'm grateful for, what I do have, why I get up out of bed every morning. You know, it's no longer about the struggle of getting through. I get up in the morning because I know it's worth it to be alive. I get up in the morning because I know my voice matters. And I know, like I sit, like I was, because I was like, why are you doing this radio show with Deb, right? And I was like, because I want others to know that their voice counts as equal to mine. That we are all voices in this choir, in this time in history. And how often do we base our value in our voice on, you know, do I have a degree? Do I not have a degree? You know, I'm not educated. When did life not become an education? You know, I looked at my 80-year-old uh, father yesterday, and I had this profound moment in the kitchen where I grew up, and I, he received this recognition for being 80 in his contribution to the community. And I looked up and I went, wow, I am so deeply appreciative of how you've chosen to live and offer what you offer. Because he's, he's chosen to continue to live to his 80th birthday. He's chosen to continue to live beyond that. You know, there are definitely things in his world that I would not choose for myself. And yet, in his humanity, he continues to be here. I would not be who I am if he was not here. He no longer defines me. <laughs> I define myself. You know, those shifting identities. So in a world that views everything through the scarcity window, I think it's a critical conversation for us all to examine. I think it's critical to notice our thoughts and not only notice, but get curious about what lies under the next thought and what lies under the next thought, not as a therapy model, but as we talk in the well systems, as a model of curiosity. Because as we stay in this conversation, it's like around scarcity and we start, and I speak my thoughts out loud. It's like I start to have an experience in my body, which is deep energy, which is attached to these words. You know, I think scarcity as a mindset, and yet we are, we live in a culture that of scarcity that's, I don't know the words yet. It's like, we only usually live from the head up. We are using, you know, our brain processes six to seven pieces of information a nanosecond. Our body, 300 trillion. 
We only access a limited bit of the information coming into our world. That's a, that's a scarcity model. Highly scarcity. So basically that's, that's what we're nurturing, we're coveting, we're conditioning is from the neck up and we're negating all of that, the, the limitlessness of the wisdom that's below. Well, and I think below, you know, we, uh, we talked in the wholeness conversation about the wisdom and intuitive wisdom that we carry deep in our body. As I allow spirit to touch tissue in terms of sensations, because that's me, you know, my grief, my feelings, it's all energy and information that's in my tissue. As I allow that to be inside, I have access to different information. I have access to different resources. I move through the world in such a different way. I move in the world internally referenced. And yet in a world of scarcity, scarcity of, you know, am I safe to say what I think? Am I safe to show up the way I look? Am I safe to even speak? Am I, you know, that's all a scarcity model. That's all I have lack. Or if I say something, it's going to be taken away from me. If I fully show up, so if I fully, you know, how many times do we not fully show up because we fear the reaction of another? You know, a scarcity mindset means I'm constantly calibrating for another. I'm not only calibrating for another, I'm calibrating for my landscape. I'm calibrating for what's going to happen next. I'm rethinking what just happened in the last moment in my past. I'm bringing all that together in this big fear mentality. It's a reactive stance. Whereas my state of being now, what I know when I'm authentically present, when I'm deeply rooted in my body as spirit and tissue, I know I'm creating my reality. I know I'm safe inside. I have access to this exquisite intuitive device that communicates with me all the time, my body. And as I do that, the notion of scarcity falls away because I'm engaging all of my senses. I'm mindful and conscious as I move through the world. I'm not doing a practice to become conscious. I am conscious in my body. You know, it's interesting. The, I, I'm really, I'm so appreciative of the way you're defining scarcity about how it's, how so many people just don't feel safe speaking out being authentically themselves. You know, that's not something that I really, um, I would have thought of as scarcity, but it's so profoundly true. It really is. It's, it's a scarcity model. Like when I think of scarcity, the first thing that comes up for me is money. So I'm thinking of an external thing. And that's something that I was, that was a mindset that I was conditioned with, with my father as a young child, we always had enough, but he lived in this fear of scarcity because he grew up in a family of 10 kids and there was a lot of scarcity. There was, there was a, you know, it was a very minimalist lifestyle. Would they have enough money for shoes on their feet or clothes or food? And so that mindset is what he brought into our family system. And there is residual stuff in my own mindset and I'm so aware of it and it's it's 
amazing how sticky it is. It really sticks. Well, and we talk about in the well systems body of knowledge, it's like the androgynous baby process. And so what that is, is it's every experience that is in our tissue three months prior to conception. So even before we are born, there's research that says what's coded in our DNA. So we often think about our hair color and our eye color. That's what's coded in our DNA. But all of the lived and emotional experiences that have been present in my mother and my father's life are coded in my DNA. Mm. Right? And so as I come into the world, as you say, I come in through the, the pregnancy process. Do you know what I mean? Here I am. I am, I am impacted. Now, people may have different ways of seeing that. I know from the literature I've read and what I've experienced is that's coded in my DNA. You know, we wake up, we have gestation, we get born, we have siblings, we have authority, we have school, we have religion, or we don't have school, we don't have religion, but we know they're out there. We have the medical system, we have neighbors, we have church, we have the workforce. All of that allows things to get sticky inside of ourselves. <laughs> if you want to use that notion, right? They're sticky. Our lived experiences are sticky. And what we've been taught is if we work hard, if we're relatively good people, in my background, if I do my pendants, you know, if I seek, um, geez, this is a really good sign, I can't remember, you know, if I go to confession, you know, if I, I do everything that's supposed to, I will live a good life and I will be okay. Quote, unquote, life doesn't work that way. We create more experiences to, I think, come closer to our, or come into our living consciousness evolution of consciousness. And so when you talk about scarcity and the environmental level that your father brought in, I too had that in my living environment. Everybody will. Everybody goes through this process of androgynous baby. Where no one, if we have a body, we've experienced it. <laughs> if we have a body and thoughts, we've experienced it. It defines age. It defines culture. It defines gender. Like it, it surpasses all of that. And what I'm really curious about is we could stay, everybody knows scarcity at an environmental level. And so, again, we could put um, solutions on top of that. That's not sustainable. I think what really matters is to start to look at where else does the threat of scarcity run? Does it run in my behaviors? Does it run in my actions? Does it run in my strategies? You know, so when I look at behaviors, do I hoard my money away just in case I'm unemployed next year? Right? Do I not have too many friends just in case I don't have enough time with this person? Right? Like, how does it shape our behaviors? And then how does it shape our actions? You know? And even more, I think there's something even deeper when we go beyond our behaviors, our actions, our emotions, is our scarcity. And it doesn't seem to be the right word, but I know it energetically, of not even being home in our body. How could we live with ourselves day in and day out with the state of the planet, with sending our kids to school, with working in jobs we don't really like, with hanging around people that aren't filling me up but knocking me down? How could we do that if we didn't? Um, it's like the solution. Right. And I know, I know one of the reasons I stay in conversation with you, Deb, and other people is I know you are hungry for this new paradigm. 
You are hungry for a paradigm that looks at, oh, there's the scarcity coming up. What are my choices in this moment? Oh, first is I'm going to breathe and be inside my body. <laughs> Allow this emotion or feeling to move. And I'm going to have access to a different way of being. And it's such a, it's, it's a shift in the mind perspective. And I don't really know for other people, I don't know what comes first. You know, some people may think, find your inner resources, flow your money this way, flow your creations this way. It's all going to be great. For me, I know I always come back to my body. I come back to my body, my thoughts. Am I in my body? Am I authentically present? Am I acknowledging, you know, we haven't been taught who and what we are. We are quantum biological beings. We are not machines with talking heads. We aren't. We weren't put on the earth to do that. We've been conditioned to be that. I am not separate from the innate knowledge and wisdom that the earth carries. You know, it brings up something that I think that we spoke about in the wholeness conversation about safety. So as I was listening to you speak, I was, I was thinking about what is it that I feel in my body when those scarcity thoughts emerge? And what happens is I don't feel safe. And it's, it's not, there's not really any reason for that. It's just a thought. It's just, it's a thought that creates a, a scarcity of safeness of that feeling of safety, safety. And so if I, if I, um, you know, I've, I've come to a place in my life where I'm not exempt from those, those feelings and those thoughts from coming up. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I've come to a place in my life where I can stop it before it owns me. Take that breath that you're talking about and realize everything really is okay. It's okay. Well, and consider in the moment, and this is for everybody listening. So we have that, our biggest fear, our biggest scarcity fear. So we have that thought. It is not separate from our body. I'd ask people to check in. Are you even breathing right now? So when we have a thought and we start to feel unsafe in our body where we live, typically the response from the nervous system is to constrict. The response is to fight or flight. The response is to hold on. The response is not to move into the change. We try to constrict it. And when that does, it again sends the nervous system into another response. Maybe that's panic. Maybe that's anxiety. Maybe you numb yourself out. So there's all these chain reactions of the body trying to bring you know, our state of being back into our homeostasis state. And so when I'm scared or when I'm fearful or when I'm in rage and I start to act from that place initially and I don't allow the body to kind of uh, relax into itself, like the energy. So if I'm panicked, I'll just talk about panic attack. This is not the scientific or psychological panic attack description. But imagine panic attack, high anxiety in the body right? It keeps going. It keeps going. I find a way to numb it. I either, you know, breathe into the paper bag or take some medication or talk it through. What happens is I've only processed it so far. 
I've implied a strategy to calm the body so I can somewhat feel comfortable inside. So it feels familiar. So you've addressed the content. I've addressed the content, right? I've settled. Often I've restricted the body. I've brought it back into some kind of manageable state. What I'm speaking of when I breathe and say, you know, let things move through the body is it's often, I often feel like as I start to relax in my body and the intensity of the cells opening up, of the heart pounding, of sweating, of heat, of all of that, that is actually the body starting to open, the nervous system to open and transform tissue. But it also feels like if you haven't gone there or if it's attached to a lot of intensity, like an intense motion like grief or anger, you often feel like it's going to take you over. And it does. And part of it is to, I don't know if learns the right word, but to trust your innate ability to move your body through that experience, right? And you don't typically do this on your own at first. Do you know what I mean? You're in conversations like this. You know, someone remember who you are, right? That we are spirit and tissue. That we do have this body that processes our emotions and our intensity just like it processes our food. So at a, you know, and it's scarcity. I feel like somehow scarcity fits into this. If I'm never willing to go to the depths in my being and know, woohoo, here comes my life. This is actually me digesting my past. You know, when you spoke to your father, it's like all those thoughts. It's actually, if you allow the sensations attached to that thought to be released into the body, you have this body experience. You stay present to yourself Black shoulders, soft belly, we say, right? You'll eventually, you know, we've all gone through peaks and valleys where we've had this big cry and we've come out of it, right? But do we know that's actually transformed something inside of us? And then, you know, does that old thought linger or has it actually been let go of? Do we actually choose to look, okay, now what? That was the past. Okay, now what? It comes down to self-trust and that's something that is really conditioned out of us from very, very early on. And it comes back to, so here we are going full circle again. It comes back to uh, before we're even birthed into the world is, is we are taught to look outside of ourselves for what actually has always been and always will be inside of ourselves and as a result of that we lose our innate ability to trust ourselves and that is scarcity right there too that's massive scarcity that is like that's that might be the root of all of the scarcity issues is that we don't trust ourselves and i don't think for listeners i don't think it's any response i i'd be curious to to know if listeners, they're probably not surprised that we're saying the resources are within. That, that's, that's out there everywhere. And I think how to access that, how to be in that, this notion of safety from the inside out is different. I had never considered that before. Like I had never considered scarcity in the way that I know it now. So this notion of safety, when I live inside my body, when I allow myself to feel, I then have access to 
the great genius of my body that works in tandem with the, the intuitive knowledge of my unique spirit, my expression in the world, into my body, to my intellect, right? That is really just a choice point, you know, or just it, it, it's like, here's all the information coming in, what choice do I want to make, right? And so when I think about elements where there's physical safety, you know, it's like I walk into a room or, you know, I'm planning to go to town one day and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't feel like I should go to town. So I listen to that. I turn around and come home, you know, find out later in the day there's been an accident or, you know what I mean? Like I start to trust those ebbs and flows. It's, yeah, it's like we know the drought's coming. Do I do anything about it before the drought comes? And do I do that out of a place of great fear and that there'll be scarcity? Or I do that because something's telling me to pay attention. Something's telling me there's a different way to go right now. It's not mapped out, but there's a different way to go right now. You know, the new paradigm is about taking our intuitive wisdom and creating systems and conversations that haven't exist. You're not going to find this conversation in a textbook. You know, it isn't written anywhere. It hasn't existed before we've been willing to open our mouths. And my sense is that we're able to go here because at some level in our life, we know the abundance of living in our body. We're willing to not stay in the scarcity mindset. Yet we're willing to know that there's something different. There's something available for all of us. But it's not going to come from me and it's not going to come from you. For another being. It's going to come from us each finding, not even finding, it's, it's going to come from us getting really honest with ourselves about why we're here. It's going to come, I'll speak for my own life, it's going to come when I allow my thoughts to spiral and also my body to be alivened. It's going to come when I start to redefine that my wellness is based on how much I'm willing to live authentically. It's going to come when, we, when I'm willing to say what I see, hear what I hear, and know what I know without any academia or textbooks backing me up first. It's going to come from knowing that it's possible to live beyond our history. That doesn't eliminate our history. That doesn't ignore the wisdom that I carry in my bones. What it demands is I start to redefine who I am and what I'm doing here. You know, when we start talking about scarcity earlier, old paradigm, new paradigm, I've been having this interesting conversation inside of myself about this notion of seven generations, seven generations ahead of me and seven generations behind me. And I, I, that's popped out of my body. Like that's why I get up in the morning. I want the living consciousness and the planet. I know the planet will do what the planet will do, <laughs> but I want humanity to stand in a different spot. And so I've been, this phrase has been coming up and I've heard it in indigenous circles the last 15 years. I've heard it before that. 
And yet in terms of a, I feel like I'm just starting to know it at a deeper level, that I'm not going to see seven generations ahead. I'm not going to know how this conversation makes a difference. And so do I still have the conversation? <laughs> yeah. With it unraveling, right? Do I allow, you know, we talked about this earlier. <laughs> do I allow myself to speak about scarcity when I really don't even know the impacts it's had on my life? Do I allow myself to speak to how passionate I am about, I know I'm living differently. I know when I'm in the presence of children, I'm offering them something different. I'm not doing anything. I'm just showing up as myself. But I'm willing to have the big conversations with them. I'm also willing to look at their world and go, what's it like to be attached to a phone? And in my world, that looks like scarcity. And in their world, sometimes it looks something totally different. But I'm also willing to have the conversation like I've been having today about bringing it back to the body, bringing it back to that we are each unique spirits with a voice here for a reason. That's the paradigm shift right there. Is that remembering? Right. And, and sometimes I don't, I, here's scarcity thought. I don't think this is enough. And yet I know it is. Like there's like, you know, I used to be the one in all the team meetings of going, okay, we've talked already. Let's get on with the action plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all know how we feel. Let's move forward. <laughs> and yet what if this was moving forward? That's a new one for me too. Like you, you know, I've always been an action oriented activist type, the doing type. And it's only in the last few years that I realized that the power in conversations like this and an even greater power in not just keeping these conversations to ourselves and sharing them with others. In the unraveling of it all, right? You know, living consciously, something that's been a huge gift in the Royal Consciousness Project is showing up with that core group of women and then offering the open space and then having some men and women conversations is we never know where it's going, but what's fueling it is, is living consciousness. So consciousness living, I'm still playing with the words as you can see, um, but in the now. And that is something, like I can't see that. It's like the wind. I can't see the wind until it touches the tree. I can't feel the wind until it brushes my skin. And yet I can't see consciousness until I show up in conversation with somebody or I start to see like the abundance of community coming together to just help someone with their harvest. I can't see the evolution of consciousness, but I can feel it. You know, it's like when the words stop and there's this great pause and there's really nothing more to say, but you know, you can feel something. It's like when the moments of, I think you said earlier, you know, when the chills move through your body, that's consciousness descending into your tissue. Is it a thought yet? No, but it'll come back up to the thought. What's coming up for me 
is how powerfully and how eloquently you speak about the wisdom of the body. And I cannot stress the importance of reclaiming that wisdom that has been conditioned out of us in a disembodied culture. I don't even know how many shows I've done where this topic has been approached in a variety of ways. Because when we have, when we have verbal communications, it's going in through the ears, it's going into the brain, and then where does it go? For some people, they'll get it. They'll feel it on a visceral level. And for other people, it'll just be more knowledge. Yeah, I really get that. I really understand that. But it's not about understanding. It's about feeling. It's about experiencing. It's about... It's about knowing that, you know, I too am the blood that runs through my veins. I am the, you know, in this moment, oh, this is so fascinating. I, ha I had this visual of looking at my hands. And so, you know, if everybody looks at their hands right now, that is a part of our being. Those hands touch the world. Those hands either hurt or offer or pause. And what we're asking, what I ask myself every day, sometimes really challenging because how my spirit and my body has been desecrated over the ages is not pretty. And yet I, you know, the story I would have told myself is it was, it was, um, it was necessary. So, you know, part of what you might not know is from the age of probably seven maybe a little older, nine to 17, I had Crohn's. And so I had multiple surgeries. I had multiple, multiple surgeries and interventions on my body. In the time when this was taking place in the early 80s, that was medical practices. There was no alternatives. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that goes back in, but for good reasons, we've left our bodies. For good reasons, I've, I've not tried to own this landscape because it's filled with the grief and the rage and also the really like the excitement and the passion, like it's filled with that too. And yet initially what we do is we cut ourselves off from being in our body so we don't have to feel the pain. But what that also cuts us off is it cuts us off from the feelings of excitement. It cuts us off from the feelings of passion. It cuts us off from feeling, you know, and the beauty of the well systems body of knowledge and moving through it and other theories may use it in a different way is that it's really allowed me to look at words as code words. And so it's allowed me to start to have a different relationship with my body, not one of battle. <laughs> oh, then I'm just realizing that. So my scarcity model, you know, how it's framed my hospitalization. Yeah, it was one of battle. It was one of do what needs to be done because this is the only way for you to live. 
and how that motto has probably been threaded through my lifetime. You know, do all the educational courses. I think I spoke about education earlier so that you can actually do what you need to do. Battle it through. And what it's required of owning this landscape of my body, not like, oh, it's a good shape, but really owning the emotions, owning the energy that's lying dormant for so long, letting that come through, you know, in safe places where I can go at my own pace and be surrounded by people that know a different way of being. You know, that's what the Decloaking and Living Authentically program's about. That's what it's been for me. That was my gateway back home. Not at first. I resisted the first time through. (laughs) But that, you know, it's about relaxing into the intuitive knowledge. So what I held on to as the battlefield, I know is now the beautiful tapestry through which my life flows. And it'll flow differently for all of us. You know, I know know the body so intimately because that's how I see. I'm a mover first. How you see is through auditory and writing. And we need all of those expressions. And yet in a world of scarcity mindset, all of those modalities I just spoke to aren't valued. The auditory is, you know, the talking is. It is the landscape that hasn't been, I shouldn't say hasn't been, but it's a really strong word, but popped out of my mouth. It's the place we've dared not go. We've dissected it. We've mechanicked it, you know, mechanical, mm-hmm. looked at it as a mechanical she- machine. Even the beautiful practices of working with energies in different ways, it's always fixing a problem, balancing good energy, bad energy. I'm not saying those things are right, wrong, good, or bad. Yet what I'm talking about is allowing the body to digest energy and information. Because that, our body, what's being filtered through, our nervous system is filtering information all the time. So are we constantly pulling up filters from the past? So if we live in a scarcity mindset of money, I bring back your your conversation with your father, right? If we bring back that filter every time we go to pay for something or every time we go to sell something, like that keeps flashing up in all the sensory cues. If we allow ourselves to own those sensory cues, we then have new access to new thoughts, access to new possibilities. But I can't get there if I'm cutting myself off. And we don't live in a culture, you know, I think about some of the images I've seen in the world lately and the grief. We don't live in a culture that will allow us to grieve. And in fact, when we grieve, and if I grieve too long, it's not in that normal parameter. And yet that's from the status quo. I believe grief will take as long as it needs to take. You're not in deficit, you're not inadequate, you're not not whole, you're whole. Your body's just processing information. And I think we spoke, we spend a lot of time, and so I'm really aware of this, we spend a lot of time about how the world is and how the world has been. So I'll say that again. We spend a lot of time talking about how the world has been and how the world is. And in that... We measure it, and I'll speak for myself, I measure it based on what I don't have. And I need to constantly remind myself of, wait a second, what is present? What is the more? What is the other half of the circle? You know, 
What are the possibilities? What is happening in my world? This conversation might be about scarcity, and yet what it's a fueling is new life and abundance. Because I see the whole picture. I'm willing to see the vision that there's more. And yet if I just focused on abundance and this new way of being, that term I'm using, it, it misses half of the equation. You know, um, I want to go back to what you said earlier about how when you were young, you, you had, you know, you had Crohn's, you had to deal with Crohn's. And I don't know very much about that, but I know enough to know that that must have been incredibly traumatic. And to to hold that in your body at such a young age would be, I can't even imagine because I haven't lived it. But I feel I feel a lot of compassion there when I think about that. And I think about, and then it makes me kind of go broader. And I think about the culture that that we've we live in currently and the one that has been playing out for for way too long is how women have been objectified. And so well anything that actually represents the feminine. So women, animals, nature. So anything that is representative of the feminine has been objectified and commoditized and raped and abused. And when I look at what's playing out in this world with, uh, with all of the depression and anxiety and, and how, uh, how depression medication is now practically a food group. And I, from what I've been reading and from what I understand and I, whether it's right or not, I don't, it doesn't really matter, but I'm just going to blurt this out. But what I understand is that the bulk of these medications are being doled out to women. It makes perfect sense to me that women have really cut themselves off from their body just to really survive in this culture. Then I think about men and I think about the culture that they're birthed into and they're taught that to be a man, to be a tough man, they're not supposed to have wussy emotions. Thinking, not feeling. Be rational, be, be logical, be objective. But don't feel, because that's a woman's thing. And so there's women being negated again. But it doesn't matter what gender we're birthed into the world as. We are all birthed into the world. You know, to use the language um, that's out there, uh, we are... We are spirits in a human bodysuit. I'm not really sure exactly what the language is, but something like that. You know, like we are spirits in a human body. <laughs> what is it? You, you know what I mean? I, I know what you mean. I just had a flash of... Yeah. We are spirits. Yeah, spirit. Okay, so if you think about... if you think about Spiritual beings having a human that's experience. That's it. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. So if you think about it, if you think about our thoughts, our emotions, and our spirit... We're talking on an energetic level. You can't see thoughts. You can't see emotions. You can see how they play out through the body. You can't see the spirit. Again, you can only see, you can only, through our perceptual senses, we can only see 
how these three things manifest through the physicality of our body. So when you think about it, if we're spiritual beings having a human experience, doesn't the human experience include emotions? Doesn't it include feeling? And how can we ever experience any of that if we're not in our bodies? Like, hello? And I also think of a comment that our dear friend Naomi said recently, I think it was her that said is, what if we're spirituality redefining humanity? Because as I hear thoughts and emotions, yes, and, and that's, that's our spirit. Now there can be, you know, thoughts that we've developed over time. And yet where, where do we stand when we're actually reclaiming, I don't know her exact words, but spirit redefining humanity. Because if we each, if, if we looked outside our eyes, which I do, but you know, if I did for everyone I meet and honored the spirit that they were, their authentic spirit, where would we stand? If we started to talk this language, you know, and we are through the radio show, but everywhere we went, how does that shift things? Does it? You know, I can speak to my own experience and how I've shifted and continue to shift in my own life with the changes that have happened in my own life, the transformation, the expansion, and the reclamation of my own wholeness that is an ongoing process. The conversations that I have with people are so radically different than they were, say, even five years ago. Because I notice myself speaking to that place that you're talking about. So I'm not speaking to the story. If somebody has a story, I have no interest in engaging with that. And I have this ability, not always, not always, but I have a, a much finer tuned ability to speak beyond the story. So to look beyond the story and see the soul and to speak to that within somebody. And wow, is that ever a transformative experience. Now, if I could nail that 100% of the time, <laughs> maybe I'd be, mm, what's the word, enlightened? Who knows? <laughs> but the fact that I'm able to do that more often than not has completely altered my own paradigm. Well, you're engaging from a, such a different place of I don't want to call it higher consciousness because I mean, but it is, it's, it's larger, bigger thoughts. It's about evolution. It's expansive. I, I think it's about, it's more about ex when I, what comes to me is expansion. That's the word that it just feels bigger. It doesn't feel higher or lower or sideways. It feels bigger. Well, and it's interesting you say bigger. And as you, she's, as you put your arms out <laughs> sideways and expand, like, I don't know what that would be. I know. I um, talk with my hands a lot. Listeners can't it. see that. but yeah. <laughs> It's it. almost like I'm French-Canadian. I'm channeling the French-Canadian me. <laughs> um, the term scarcity and abundance in our email conversation, it's like when that started to come up in my world again, I've got just playing with those words and that, those thought patterns and the experiences in my body. It's like when I frame my world in a scarcity model or when I frame my world as just my thoughts, it's really finite. You know, it's very small. It's very constrictive. 
you know, and when I, when I define it as infinite, there's much more expansion. And I think the aspect that I know of you, because I mean, I believe we live in a holographic universe. So you're an aspect of my consciousness. The more willingness I'm, the more mm, I'm willing to consciously allow the expansion to happen, the possibilities of what's unfolding is limitless. You know, I'm going to throw something out there. I'm not sure if you're, you're noticing this, but this is something that I'm noticing is as I notice within myself this expansion is when I go out there <laughs> into the real world, which I say in air quotes, I feel like I'm in a time warp sometimes. Like really, I, seriously, I really feel like I'm in a time warp. I feel like, where am I? <laughs> This is not what, this is not familiar to me anymore because I'm in, I'm already living in this different paradigm. Then I see some of the stuff that's playing out and it's like, it snaps me into the fact that, okay, yes, I am in that new paradigm and I am working my, I'm, I, this is the work that I do. I believe that this is where we're heading. And, um, you know, using Joanna Macy's terminology, the three stories that are playing out, separation, unraveling, or the great turning. I feel like I'm in the turning already, like it's already happening. And I know that there are some spiritual um, traditions that say that there's so many different alternate realities that are actually playing out at the same time. And what's interesting is in the last few months, especially, I, I'm actually feeling that. I feel like I'm in time warps in alternate realities. And it's, it's really difficult to articulate. It's bizarre. But even like, um, for instance, I was with a friend the other day and she was talking about how she's been reading a lot of self-help books about changing your thoughts, changing your mind and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was like, really, that information is still out there? That just seems antiquated. It's not about changing our thoughts and changing our mind. <laughs> it's about dropping into the body. Really. And yet, and, and yet as... As we drop into our body, what actually happens as we allow things to move and own our past, what actually happens is new thoughts manifest. Exactly. But we're, but we're still, the information that's out there is still coming from an old model that we have. Yeah. It's, it's still from the neck up. Change what's in the neck up and everything else in your whole life is going to change. Think about... What is it called? The law of attraction. Think about everything that you want and it's going to come to you. No, it doesn't work that way. So it's very strange for me. And, and I, I just wanted to throw that out there about how I feel like I'm in alternate realities. And I know that as you're, you know, you're in this too, you're in this new, whatever you want to call it, worldview, paradigm, whatever. And I'm curious to know what you're experiencing when you go out there into what is still the collective definition of reality. I'm going to take a breath. I'm chuckling because I, I can relate. <laughs> and yet what I'm discovering more and more, so there's, there's a few things. And I, I know I've said it a few times, but for me, this has been the game changer in my world. And the game changer has not just been talking about being energetic being. It's about 
being in the body as that happened. So quantum biological process. So, and that took my intellect like a long time to wrap my head around, literally. <laughs> um, so that's a game changer. So when, when I decided to choose that no matter who in my world, how they're going to choose to live, what's deeply meaningful for me. And one of the reasons why I've come here is evolution of consciousness. And it's not just to talk about it. Not that that's needed too, but my, my piece, my chorus is to live it and to offer my experience of how I live it, how it feels, how it experiences, what manifests from that. That doesn't mean it's going to manifest like that for everyone else, but to experience it and share that. So because I believe I'm quantum biological being, because I believe God force, you know, I'm a spirit and I'm a force of nature within the world. When I speak, it has impact. When I'm quiet, it has impact. Yeah, I live in a really different reality sometimes. And, you know, there is a reason why at this point I don't work full-time in the social work industry anymore or I don't work full-time in the regimented dance world, which would be both of my passions. I do experience, I forget, I forget. It's like when we went back to the wholeness conversation you asked or there was some kind of question about what does it feel like to be awake in your body or something like that? It's like I had to remember what that felt like because it feels like light years since I didn't know what that felt like, right? And so when I go out in the world, what I need to remember is I'm taking me with me and that everybody I'm calling into my playing field, I get to choose how I engage. And they are all aspects of my consciousness. So there's moments when I'm just like, you know, especially if you're traveling and I go through airports or you know, just really different communities. Being in a university setting, like, whew, you know, it's like, okay. And yet I, I notice my experience is shifting that I'm not holding judgment of that anymore. So if I was judging the academia, it means I wasn't judging my way I was moving through the world. Because what I believe is my, you know, your thoughts about me are a reflection of your internal landscape. Just like my thoughts about you or other people when I'm around, right? When I start to have thoughts, it's about my internal landscape. So I have that conversation. I know it takes great energy at times um, to be in a world that's really where, when, what, how, where, when, what, how. I, I don't have interest. It's not that I don't deeply care. I still show up in places and that less and less I do. And yet there are moments when um, I wake from a slumber or just my everyday, my, I don't have an everyday routine. I was just going to notice that was going to come out of my mouth. I wake in the morning and I go, I need to go here today, which would be a really different environment that I normally wouldn't go into. And yet I know it's, it's, I'm leading myself there. I'm leading myself for more discovery. And I know, I, I know I'm here the evolution of consciousness. So that's going to take me into different dimensions, you know, as I hear you speak. And I'm not always comfortable in those dimensions. Mm. You know, I'm not always comfortable. Like here I am just allowing the words to flow. More and more I'm a willing, allowing myself to speak it everywhere I go. And yet, yeah, it feels different. And it, and I know this journey isn't for the faint of heart. I know this journey, I know there will be individuals that do not choose this. And that, 
is hard to watch. Yes. And, and so that's how I answer your question. And it's like, I've spent a lot of time in the, you know, it goes back to the scarcity model, wanting to bring people with me on this journey, <laughs> wanting them to know the richness that I experience in everyday life, wanting them to know that you're actually safe to dive to the depths of your despair because on the other side is something so precious. And so is despair. I mean, that's such a funny, but it's deep feeling. It's deep energy. It's, it's like deep energy moving through the body that fuels your next creation. It's deep intimacy. It's deep vulnerability. You know, um, the language that I use is like I use the head and heart language. Right. Yeah. And what I've learned, well, it's pretty well been all my life, but what I've accepted and fully really owned in the last few years is that my heart takes me to places that my head often fears. But with this shift from head to heart, as I call it, I've realized that my head was never meant to be in charge anyways. Mm. And by allowing my heart to lead my life and my head to just play servant and, and implement the, the, the calling that lives in my heart, it's been indescribable. There are no words really to describe how my life has changed. Mm. Now, if I was, um, if people it's still in that status quo mindset would look at my life. They might say, oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> wow, she lives in a rental house. She's got rain barrels, she grows her own garden and, you know, she's got an old car and man, she must be poverty stricken. <laughs> I don't know what kind of things they would be saying. But I feel, um, going back to our conversation, I feel more abundant now than ever with this simpler life that is more deeply connected to not only myself, but to the relationships that I have, which are uh, richer, richer relationships. People that, it's, it's funny because with this evolution in my own self, in my own consciousness, people have just naturally fallen away that no longer fit. It's the only language that's coming up. Uh, but new, you know, there's been new relationships that have been coming that are rich, filled with so much meaning, like this conversation that you and I are having right now. Even though you live on the total opposite of the country and we have not physically met, it makes no difference to me because I'm feeling our connection on an energetic level. And this is, this is new. And I feel like this is part of this paradigm shift as well, is that physical proximity doesn't really matter. Because there's an energy exchange that is so much richer and so much more powerful and really defines the essence of the spiritual part of who we are. And I, you know, I think I've heard both you and Naomi say this, is that once you know this, you can never go back. Ever. No amount of money, no amount of stuff 
Like, it's like, it just seems stupid, really, when I think about it, the things that people strive for. And, you know, when you talk about how you know that some people will never, will never choose this, I feel the same way. It breaks my heart. It's, it really is gut-wrenching to see people who have chosen what they've chosen, which just seems so limited. And I can, I can say that because I was once there. So I know both sto- both sides. I know I was once there. I was in that spot. I know, I know, like I know from my own experience, but I see what you're going through and I can relate to it. But it just seems like history compared to where I am right now. And one of the most powerful things that I've learned, and I brought this up on, on you know, a few shows is I was at a, uh, an Al-Anon meeting for one of my family members a few years back. And it was, um, we, we just didn't know what to do. We just didn't know what to do or how to be because there's no changing somebody until they're ready to change themselves. You cannot change somebody. You can love somebody and feel really hurt and pained and what, with what they're doing to themselves. You can't change them. It's got to happen on their own. And, uh, we were, I went with my, um, with my family and, we were sitting in a group and then we were all split off into separate groups. And we were with, uh, an Al-Anon old timer, we'll call it. So somebody who has been around for a while and we were, we were in this group together and I barely remember the entire time together. But what I do remember has stuck with me and it's been maybe six or seven years now. He was talking about how his wife had, a very serious alcohol problem and you know when you love somebody and you see them in so much pain and they're destroying themselves you want to help them you want to change them and but they don't see what you see and so he said that when he started going to Al-Anon you know he wasn't sure about it at first but one of the most powerful things that he learned was something called compassionate detachment so to be there but to not no longer impose himself on his wife but to always be there even if it's just energetic support but to be detached from it and let her know that what she's doing right now is part of her path and those two words when he put those two words together he didn't even need to tell the rest of the story compassionate detachment I thought that is something that I need to bring into my life because I am compassionate and I don't know if there's compassionate to a fault, but I might be close to it if that's <laughs> if, if 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 it's possible. I'm compassionate because I'm so hungry for change, because I'm so hungry for more, because I see the potential and I feel it and I know it and I know that we can all be so much better. But the detachment part has been liberating. Cuz it now allows me to really do my work in a more empowered and powerful way because now I can actually live up to the words that you just said like you know you said it's it's not everybody's going to choose this path and sometimes it's still I still feel like I still feel that pain but it doesn't own me anymore I can say all right I'll focus this way then Mm -hmm. keep on moving forward keep on doing the work that I'm doing and if you're ever ready, I'm here for you. And so there are so many other people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when I hear 
you know, when you speak to compassion, I know that as an experience inside of myself. I know that as an experience of connecting deeply to my own humanity. Knowing how humanity has existed no longer does. With, and this is new, I don't know all the words yet, um, letting go of the responsibility to humanity. Mm. So this notion of what humanity is, this notion of what consciousness is, the notion to what scarcity is, we'll all have different meanings on that based on the context in which we live. And the one thing that I know does not lie is is the movement through the body. Is the, you know, in those moments when you look at someone and you have that eye contact and there's that, that, that moment of authenticity or it's the touch or it's the tears running down another's cheek and you're witnessing it. Like those moments don't lie. I might not know what's going on inside of you, but are we willing to know that is? part of the expression of humanity and humanity is shifting how we engage as humans has shifted what are we still holding on to what do I still feel responsible to as a woman in my 40s what do I feel responsible for and can I let go of the responsibility like that notion of responsibility for and stand in what am I doing here? Why did I come? Why am I alive at this time in history? Why? And, and I, I can't even answer the why, but am I willing to engage that question and move from that larger intention every day? With deep compassion, and yet not feeling responsible for other people's choices. That's what comes up for me as you say that. Because I know what it is to go, nope, not dealing with you, right? And still feeling responsible that I should be doing something. All that's coming up for me really is that the really, these really are very um, powerful, interesting times with all of the shifting and morphing that's going on. Personally, collectively, globally, there's a lot going on. And I'm feeling like this great acceleration this year. It's going so fast that I, I can't even believe like, you know, we're recording this in early September and I don't even know where the summer went. It's just whizzing by. Like the con my concept of time is even warped. And, you know, earlier when we were talking, you said that, um, you mentioned something about how people will say something like, um, I'll have to paraphrase here, or yeah, I'll paraphrase. They don't have time for these kind of conversations. But you, you made the choice to stop the race. I made the same choice in my own life, stop the race. And yet, I feel like the race is still going on out there. There's an acceleration. And what I know, I'm not responsible for that race. 
what I do feel deeply, I don't know, you know, when you break responsibility down, it's my ability to respond. So if I am here with great intention to offer my unique gifts, whatever they are, in the spirit and in the act of, you know, the activism of accelerated evolution of consciousness, how do I want to respond to what's unfolding in my life first and then allow that to filter outward? You know, you think about this conversation. I gave you an email going, I don't even know what we were, I think I was responding to our last radio show. And I know I sent you a thing on laundry, on um, off the grid laundry, right? And we started in this conversation of scarcity and abundance. I wasn't thinking, I was just like, yeah, those are the, that's the conversation whirling inside of me of infinite, finite, of what are we doing living, you know, what are we doing here? And I think about where we've, it, it was meaningful for me to share that information. And then it just, you know, this beautiful wheel started to turn. And here we are, my ability to respond to your humanness and how you're choosing to live your life right now and follow my impulses to stay engaged has led us to this moment. Will lead to other moments when people choose to listen will lead to other moments when you choose to listen and I choose to listen and we go, wow, that's what, you know, it, there is the expansion. There is the acceleration. My ability to respond, not because I have to, but because something inside of me says, huh, I'm going to send Deb this link. And it continues. That's an everyday experience. That's an experience that started with you speaking about the water storage out on your coast and me hearing it and me being deeply moved and me being impacted. I mean, I, I as you know, I already thought about the water before that, but even more consciously aware on about it since that conversation out loud with you and then having this impulse to kind of research. I wonder what is out there for that. Sending it along one moment in my day brings us here. No strategic plan involved. <laughs> Impulse. Exactly. Exactly. Impulse because I care. I deeply care about the state of the world. I deeply care about my life. I deeply care about laying down the battle with my body and just living in it, living consciousness, manifesting the new world, manifesting the new paradigm as we go with many, many different voices, many, many perspectives. What you just said makes me realize a, a, another quote by Margaret Mead that is so powerful that I feel like is, is a really good way to, to kind of wind things down. And she said, always remember that you're absolutely unique, just like everyone else. I can't even describe how I feel right now. 
it's like every time I have a conversation with you or Naomi or Louise or, you know, anybody who's taken the Well Systems programs, I just, I feel, I feel so expanded. And what's so exciting about these conversations that we have is that when, when we sign off and say goodbye for now, and I, I always go off into the woods with my dogs to process and integrate the conversation. And so the bigness that I feel right now usually quadruples <laughs> as I start integrating these conversations. And I just know that that's what's going to happen today as well. So Nancy, I am so grateful for your presence in the world and for your hunger for more and for your willingness to be yourself and to stand in yourself and to share your voice and to recognize your uniqueness. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah. Words don't capture what I feel inside. And it's, it's, you know, that uniqueness that I have, that you have, that's the course I want to live in. That's how Gaia lives. Thank you. There you have it, the inspiring wisdom of Nancy Hanlon, just calling out scarcity and redefining abundance in a really, really big way. And hopefully this conversation moved you as much as it moved me during the actual conversation and also during the editing process. It was really powerful and it was kind of cool listening to it after the decloaking experience too, coming from this more expanded place and hearing it with, with different ears. Scarcity doesn't exist. It only exists if we allow it to exist. But it's not true. It's just another one of the illusions in our separation-based world. So get over it. You have the money. You have the resources. You have everything within you to be great. And the world needs you. The world needs every single one of our voices to express the greatness of who we all are. As I said in the intro, if we don't, a piece of us dies every single time we play small and a piece of the earth dies as well. So we are the earth, we are the wind, we are the ocean, we are the fire, we are all of it. And if we don't speak out for ourselves, we're not speaking out for the earth. Mm -hmm. You don't need to think about that because in your body, in your soul, you already know that. And if you go back to the show notes on my website, all of the pertinent points of discussion will be found there along with a little blog write-up about scarcity and abundance and yeah, my thoughts around that. Another offering, my, another creative offering into the world for you and for me. So when I honor my creative self, then, hey, I'm honoring my soul, I'm honoring the earth, and I'm honoring you. Check it out. And that's it for this week, the end of another Unplugged podcast. 
May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. As always, I thank you so much for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.